0: Caroline, are you ready for a little bit of risky business?
1: Whoa. I want you to like superimpose like the sunglasses from risky business. I want
0: you to superimpose me sliding in the background (laughs) in just the button down shirt. Please do that. Also, if I wore a button down shirt, it would like (laughs) I wouldn't it wouldn't cover my undies. You'd see clear undies. You don't
1: think so? No. It's oversized. Everything was oversized in the 80s.
0: I'm oversized.
1: (laughs) That's a good point. Great point. Uh,
0: All right. So, in this episode, we talk to you about all the risky things we've done in our lives, mostly uh, business related stuff. But there is a big big life business uh, story in there.
1: Yeah. Risky things we've done in our lives. Sounds like doing drugs and stuff. It's not about yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, we
0: talk about our experience with black tar <laughs> heroin. Uh, no, I it's, still don't know what that is.
1: <laughs> it's all the times that each of us have taken a big leap or done something kind of scary in terms of a big life change. So There's a
0: lot of quitting. We talked about quitting, a lot of quitting in this quitting episode. Quitting
1: jobs, quitting places. Um, yeah. So if you're somebody who's considering a big change or... Maybe it's just a little whisper right now, but um, maybe it's going to get louder for you over the years. This is going to be a really good episode for you to listen to, and we share some helpful tips on how to take a big risk in your own life.
0: We hope you enjoy it. So enjoy it. Let's get into it. Hey there, we're Jason and Caroline Zook, a husband and wife team who believes life is just one big experiment.
1: This is the show where we share our journey as we figure out this ever-changing thing called life. We cover topics like running a business, traveling the world, and clawing our way out of debt, all with the hope of inspiring you to live, work, and create with more intention.
0: Life might bring its twists and turns, but when you know who you are and what you want, you're never really lost. Welcome to Wandering Aimfully, the show. For those of you who are watching at home, you're on YouTube, hello. Hello. Uh, For those of you who are listening in your car or on the treadmill or wherever you are. Hello. Hello. Um, (laughs) We hope this episode helps you look at a risk that you are thinking about taking in your life. Something that is sitting in front of you that seems scary and daunting and like it cannot be done. And hopefully we're like your risk Sherpas, you know? Like you're looking at your little risk Mount Everest and then you've got us carrying all of your mental baggage because you have so much. And we're going to just usher you up the mountain.
1: That's what we're going to do. To the or, top is where you want to go.
0: Achieve your risk.
1: <laughs> I'm thinking also for the people out there who maybe they aren't at this very moment confronted with some sort of big change, but maybe it's just like a little whisper. It's just like a little oh. thought in the back of their head that's like, you know, what if, like, what if I move to Europe? What if I quit that's, my job? What if I. It's
0: a big whisper.
1: Well, it's just sort of like a nagging little like daydream. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And so for those people also, I think this episode could be fun because I think it could start to get those wheels turning a little bit more and turn that whisper into a regular... <laughs> sounding voice just kind
0: of waited to see what would happen there um all right so do you want me to start off i I wrote down a list of uh of our our different risks we've taken over the years and i can start off with mine so if we rewind the clock back to college jason uh, he is, <laughs> you
1: have g- to say it like that, College. God, like
0: Jason, he's just smashing natty lights. That's all he's doing. <laughs> Wearing tank tops and being a bro. <laughs>
1: being so bro. God,
0: he was such a bro. Uh, I, I had a job, a part-time job at, uh, the ATP, which mm-hmm. is men's professional tennis. It's like the NBA of basketball. The ATP is the governing body of tennis. Which I did
1: not know existed when no we one, first No one, no one
0: really knows. No oh. one really knows. Um, it's just not as popular. It's kind of funny that tennis is a sport. Is very popular, but the like governing body has almost no brand recognition, at least here in the that states. That is interesting. I think in Europe it definitely has brand recognition because a lot of the events are named ATP Tour level event, etc. Mm, mm. So, anywho, S- fun aside. I so this is two thousand. T- 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 Three, I think, or uh, two thousand four. I got a part-time job with the ATP. I actually found the job, I think, online, and I had just recently been fired from my uh, paid internship where I was photoshopping cellophane off of uh, little gift baskets that were on an internet <laughs> coffee company's I love website. It so much. That was the worst. Wait, I was you were so photoshopping mad.
1: Photoshopping the cellophane off of the basket. No, no,
0: I was, I was photoshopping like the glare on the cellophane, so it didn't look as bad. Oh yeah, I can, I can. You like...
1: were, you were retouching. Oh yeah. gift baskets.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. was your job. That was me in two thousand. That's You're what part
1: I, of the problem, man. Man, I... <laughs> manufacturing reality. Oh no. Wow. Hashtag no Photoshop. I started am I everything. Right?
0: Uh, yes. Kendrick, I apologize. I started this entire thing. Uh, anyway, so I, I was looking for a job, uh, because I pretty much had a part-time job the entire time I was in college. I worked at athlete's foot. I worked at this cellophane, uh, Photoshopping <laughs> job <And then>
1: factory. <laughs> that's all I did was just, just I picture sat you in a row. and about 200 other like yeah. poorly paid people sitting at desks. Just Photoshop. Yeah,
0: that was it. Uh, so I, I applied for this job. Uh, I met a guy who was a French Canadian who, uh, spoiler alert, ended up being my boss and uh, took this job and had no clue. I didn't know. It. In the interview, he was like, can you name uh, like five tennis players right now, like currently ranked tennis players. And so I turned it back on him. I was like, can you name five Top five NBA players, and he was like, "Touche." I cannot, and I was like, "Okay, yeah, but, I think we'll be fine."
1: Yeah, but that guy was not interviewing for a job for you. No, your but it was it was NBA, and
0: my point was that I wasn't interviewing for a job to know tennis players. I was interviewing for a job to do graphic design for a company, so like, I didn't need to know I the mean, tennis it players. Worked, so it did work. Um, I think he liked my spunk at the time. So anyway, you
1: certainly do. Have it success. had
0: nothing to do with getting this job. It actually had to do with quitting this job. So I worked at this job for three and a half years. Very comfortable job. I worked my way up, I think from $35,000 a year to $55,000 a year when I quit. In how many years? In three and a half years, That's pretty which good. in the corporate world, I, oh, I mean, yeah. it's a pretty I, solid jump. Yeah. Um, and, and it was a great job. I mean, I literally worked three minutes from my house.
1: You got a nice grande mocha every day from oh, Starbucks. Oh man, we,
0: we talked about this. Every time we drive by a Starbucks, I think back to <laughs> pretty much every single day of my life. I would go into the Starbucks because there wasn't. I don't even think drive-through Starbucks was a thing in 2003 or four. Mm-mm. I would walk in. I would order my grande mocha, no. extra whip, no extra whip, no with babe. a coffee cake.
1: We're gonna up your life insurance policy with that. <laughs> Bad news.
0: And in the first 27 minutes of my day, I consumed 1,200 calories. Dear goodness. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of amazing.
1: Did they put something addictive in that, oh,
0: stuff? absolutely. Because I every I went day.
1: through a, a hazelnut latte phase where I was just coming back like a addict yeah now luckily
0: I was like 22 at the time so my metabolism was just like I'll take this and I'll work with it yeah uh anywho great job I'm at this job I've been working there uh I've been traveling with the company I went to different events and went to New York City and got to like sit in the box at the US Open and just got to do a bunch of really cool things um and there were really great people that worked there and actually it was kind of the first place I had been introduced to people from different cultures I ended up having two roommates who worked there one from Brazil and one Italian guy um and so that was just really fun like Mm -hmm. you know it's got Again, just all this different exposure, um, and I got to work on my skill set and anyth- all this stuff. Anyway, uh, I, but I found myself every day, and I, I call this my beige existence at the time. Was like beige desk, beige chair, beige monitor, beige desktop tower, beige walls, beige paint on the walls. It was just. A beige existence
1: you guys know those like opposite and maybe some of you work at them right now where you just walk in and everything is just so vanilla yeah and i feel like even just that external representation of like that seeps into your consciousness oh, you know what i mean for where sure you just feel like this is the opposite of feeling alive and vibrant i would say especially
0: when you're doing creative work like, right. I'm supposed to be creating right. visual, interesting things. Uh, and at the time, I was actually doing a lot of flash animation, which is kind of funny. That'll Look set the fellow designers back.
1: Yeah, no, I the quick aside, I remember working for the agency in Jacksonville, and they put the creatives in the the bottom floor of the agency, which yeah. was technically, like, the basement. Yeah. We had one little skylight, which I just sat under basically every day. Like, nobody else moved from their desk, and I was coming from this, like, more creative agency. So I was like, we, can, we used to sit wherever we want, so I'll sit there. But... It just was the funniest thing to me where it was like, you're going to put the most creative people <laughs> in the place with the least amount of natural light. Like that makes no sense. You put them in the dark. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Anyway. So, I'm working at this job. I have a friend who I meet up. We get burgers and fries like every Thursday just to chat and hang out. We were just both in the cars to as well. The oh, Starbucks. yeah. Yeah, there's a real trend here in my yeah. 20s of not healthy eating. Uh, that's for a whole other episode of the show. Uh, but I, I just had this inkling that it wasn't for me. This beige existence was not working for him. It was the same thing. He was working at a great agency, but just felt the same way. And so we decided we were going to go out on our own. But. That's a huge risk at the time. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm making a good salary. I have no commute. I couldn't complain about anything at all, except for the beigeness. And it, I remember driving to and from work and then driving to other places and just thinking like, can I do this? Can I quit mm-hmm. this job? Can I start my own business? Who am I to start my own business? How will I get clients? Am I going to make no money at all? Like, there was just so many uncertain things.
1: How long would you say that that time period went on where you were? Just thinking about it. From the idea. So in
0: whisper phase. Whisper
1: whisper to moderate, normal voice. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's funny. If you think about who I am today, for those Mm -hmm. of you that know, and for you... I don't stay in whisper phase very long. No, doesn't exist. No, I'm very impulsive these days. But back then, I mean, I think I probably was in whisper phase for like three months, Mm -hmm. and I would just constantly be thinking about it, just sort
1: of daydreaming about it. Yeah, just and also just trying trying to
0: weigh all the things. Of and I think what it finally like the thing that really moved me from whisper stage to making a big change and and taking risk and quitting this job was I was like, I'm single, I have no dependents other than my dog Plaxico. And what's the worst that's gonna happen? Right. Like, I, literally, I had had this conversation with my boss too at the time. He was such mm-hmm. a cool guy, and I was like, this just isn't for me. He's like, well, just if you find something else, cool, but you know, in the meantime, just keep doing your job. Mm-hmm. And I just that's remember, cool. yeah, I just remember him saying, like, if you're gonna do it, like, you don't have kids. And he kind of reiterated that. And I was like, yeah, this is the time that I should do that. And he was like, and, and he was like, truthfully, like, if you wanna come back, like, I'll just rehire you. That is, it's very rare. That's
1: an interesting point that I wanna spend a little time on because do you think, that that is a scenario afforded like okay what I'm thinking in my head is that feels very different than the experience that I had as a female Mm. which was nobody's gonna understand I'm letting everybody down when when the whisper phase was hit me of like I'm I might want to quit my job and I might want to go do my own thing or do something different all the thoughts in my head were not like my boss is going to be support me in this my like it was it was I'm letting everyone down like you know this is not okay i have responsibilities like some of that i'm sure is my own like projection of that but some of that i like i just can't even imagine of superior coming to me and being like yeah, like you have a job waiting for you. And maybe that's not a male-female thing. Maybe that's a dependent upon the scenario thing. Yeah. Do you think he was just like a nice guy?
0: Oh, no. He was a 100% just a fantastic a really guy. guy. Yeah, I mean, I remember from day one, that first interview, just like we hit it off. He was yeah. so, so friendly. The reason days. I
1: bring that up is because maybe somebody out there right now is listening to that, especially being a female like myself and going, oh, those things are actually just in my head. Yeah, Like nobody has come out and said to me, you would be letting everyone down or don't leave. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just think it's an interesting thing to... I think we
0: also of. live now 15 years later after mm-hmm. that, we live in a different work economy where I think a lot of bosses know if you're in a decent job that there's a, there's a twinkle in the back of every great True. worker's mind of like, I could go out on my own and do my own thing. Like it's very available to yeah. me now. And so I think that honest conversation could probably happen. Yeah. And and so here's exactly what, what I did. So after I got through the whisper phase and after I decided I was going to do this, um, I essentially sat down with my boss. Well, I, I first sat down with myself and I went, What do I need to feel comfortable making this change? Because Mm -hmm. I'm not just going to quit tomorrow Mm -hmm. and jump in. So, what I talked about in this, I talked about this with my co founder, was I wanted to have six months of personal runway saved up. And so, this is actually the first time in my life when I looked at all my expenses in some way. I didn't look at them very closely because I didn't have that much 42. Natural light budget, 12 bucks a week. Uh, no, Starbucks. Bur- I was I was out, I was outside of Burger King at this point. Oh, okay. It was Cruisers Burgers, which Cruiser's. you know. Yeah. Oh, uh,
1: God, what I wouldn't give for a veggie burger.
0: Yeah, Cruiser's yeah, greasy. Like, no. uh, but anyway, I veggie. looked at this stuff and I I basically told myself, you know, I can live. I was living rent free. My mm-hmm. mom had a condo I was living in, so I had like all these advantages, which I'm very very well aware of in this first risk that I took. But I could live off of basically fifteen hundred dollars a month, mm-hmm. and so what I decided to do was save up and just, that was just cutting back my expenses. Um, and I basically saved up that money very quickly because I had already had a little bit of savings. I was kind of smart. I wasn't investing any of it, but I had a little bit. And so it took me, I think like three months to save up that buffer that I wanted to have six months. And I sat down with my boss once I got close to that and I kind of gave him a heads up and I said, Hey, I'm making this decision. I am going to go with this. Um, I'm really excited. I'm really nervous, but I just giving you more of a head up, heads up than two weeks notice. Yeah. And he was like, that's great. Like, you know, we're happy to support you and whatever you do, like excited to see you move on. Like you've been here for three and a half years. Like you, you know,
1: did you have any, excuse me, any fear or like, pit of your stomach feeling about quitting.
0: Oh, every day. I mean, and I think that's why talking to him was really helpful. My, my boss at the time, because it gave me someone that could basically tell me like, you're talented, you're good. Like you're going to figure this out. Like you're a go-getter. Like we we hired you almost on the spot for a reason. Like we saw a lot of potential in you. And I think for a lot of people, they may get that from some source in their life. And that can be a really helpful thing when you're at that pivotal moment. Uh, But I do remember both the day that I sat down and gave my two weeks notice, and then when I first started kind of working for myself. Now, I will also say, in this time, we had started the company, so I didn't just jump ship and then start from zero. Mm -hmm. We had also, I think for like, three months before this started taking on one or two clients i mean it was really yep. one i think yeah uh, ahead of time and it was no money at all mm-hmm. really uh but we just we just kept working we kept working in late hours of the night we kept you know carving out this time meeting up multiple times now yep. more a lot of burgers a lot of burgers and uh yeah it got to this point and 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 then it became as soon as that security blanket was lifted of the salary that i had and this cushy job that i could go and sit at it was like uh-oh like now I have to do it all. Yeah. But at the same time that I had the, the pits in my stomach of like, what if we don't get any clients? Like, I don't know anybody. I'm mm-hmm. just kind of like, you know, just trying to figure this out. There's no Twitter. There's no Facebook. There's, you have no immediate access to a lot of people at this time. Um, it was really just me going, I believe we can do this. I know how talented we are. And worst case scenario, I can either go back to my job. Or right. They won't take me back. I can get a job at Starbucks and hopefully make more than I consume every day. Right. That was my goal. <laughs>
1: Just make enough.
0: To eat the coffee cake and the mocha.
1: No, I was just thinking, though, um, I, I it's so interesting. I wish, because I had a little bit of a similar experience where I was so nervous to, like, quit. But, but the two times that I quit jobs, that the person sitting across from me, like, my boss or superior, basically, like, sat me down and told me, you're such a great worker. Like, we, you know, we didn't think we were going to hold on to you for this long. Like, basically said, like, they expected this and whatever and I'm like why is it that it takes employers for someone quitting in order to make them feel valued and yeah. make them feel you know like their skills are being recognized like a, not as much on the second one but it definitely in my first job if I would have felt more encouraged yeah. and more validated in my skill set especially like young people who are in the workforce for the first time I would have stuck around longer but it was like I just feel like I'm not doing enough all the time.
0: Yeah. What's funny is I had all that. I yeah. had the encouragement. I had the empowerment. I, You know, it's like.
1: <laughs> and you took that and you said, great, <laughs> I can start my thing.
0: I mean, I remember because I had a I new. Guess it's a I I had a new boss at the end of it, but yeah. I still, it was like, I almost had two bosses in some respects, but like the head of the department was the new guy. Yeah. And I remember going in to put in my two weeks notice and he was like, well, what's your number? And I was like. What do you mean? Like I'd never really experienced that, I like, would heard of it That's and weird. it was like how like what kind of salary do you need? I was like, "Well, it's actually the first time in my life where I was like, it's not about the money." Yep. Like I think maybe if they would have doubled my money, maybe I would have stayed, but I knew that wasn't a possibility. Yeah. Um and so yeah, I just I made that leap and and, you know, from there, it was just the battle every day of just going, what can I do to make this business happen, to get design clients, to do the best job that we can, go above and beyond for every single client we have, because we only have like three of them at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really the, the riskiest part of that then became not getting comfortable mm-hmm. and just going like, I'm the controller of my own destiny at this point. I need to do everything that I can and still enjoy life, but really be focused. On yeah, what doing I think here. a
1: big part of it is it is recognizing that 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 realization can be both terrifying, but also super empowering. And the more that you can lean into the empowering part of it, so it's like you can say to yourself, okay, I'm solely responsible for my income now, and that can be crushing to you. Or you can say, I'm solely responsible for my income now. Great, it's all within my hands. Like That's really empowering. I get to choose to wake up every morning and you know, make a a change and stuff. I think we had talked about even in my first year, my first year of Made Vibrant, which was my business, which I'm jumping around my own timeline here. You timeline really here a little bit. But um in the first year of owning my own business, I went from year one making about thirty thousand dollars revenue to year two making a hundred thousand dollars revenue. And you and I used to talk about all the time, in what other way can you triple your income like you can't work for somebody else and they're gonna say why don't we triple your salary you know for your promotion and so there's something really really empowering about that which says if you work hard and if you make the right choices then the sky's the limit for you um another important thing that I wanted to point out from your story that I think is helpful for people is the notion of like these like stepping stones so people ask me all the time how do you you know, take a big risk. How do you quit your job or how do you make a big move? And I always tell them, don't, don't make it as that big. You know what I mean? Like dip your toe in the water as much as you possibly can while you are in that place of now. So like the security of a job or where you're living right now, find ways that you can test drive whatever this big risk is that you want to take so that you actually know, oh, I like this. Or so you can actually get some clients under your belt, or you can kind of uh, stuff the tip jar, if you will, kind of get yourself going, get yourself started. And, um, you know, the same way that you would, if you were at a job that you hated, but you, and you wanted to move jobs, you would put out feelers. You would try to line up interviews before you quit. your yeah, job. Yeah, for sure. And so you kind of have to approach other big risks like that as well.
0: Um, so yeah, just to wrap up that first quitting story for me, quit that job Uh, the first six months didn't need to dip into my savings at all. We had secured a couple of clients. The best thing we did was do amazing work, give amazing customer service and simply ask our clients if they knew anybody else who needed work. And that's how we built our business from zero to a quarter million dollars in revenue in the first year and a half. It's awesome. It was just through a couple people that we knew, asking if they knew anybody, doing really great work, and then them recommending us. And then them coming back with other projects was really helpful. Do you remember
1: how much you were charging for projects at the time, out of curiosity?
0: Um, I remember when we first started, we were trying to charge $100 an hour, but we started with, I think, $80 an hour. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, by the end of it, we were somewhere around like $250, $300 an hour. Um, which... I mean, I don't even know if that's high or not. Like, I don't. But we we kind of took the approach that I think a lot of freelancers, good freelancers, do. By the end of it, and this just happened naturally, was we stopped charging by the hour and started charging by the project, project. and just basically said, like, hey, we don't want to nickel and dime you. We hate tracking hours. It's not fun for us. It takes time. We have to bill you for that time. We just believe with our experience, this project can take this much amount. And the first time that we did that, it was scary. I mean, mm-hmm. it was its own little risk in itself. Um, but it just made it more comfortable for us to go. Okay, this project is going to cost fifteen thousand. Mm-hmm. We know that there are enough hours in there. We've built something similar. Or we have a good idea for it. So.
1: We could do an entire episode just on like the
0: pricing pricing, and yeah. like the
1: fear of that. And because I remember remember that was so tough for me when yeah. I was back in my design days. Yeah. I hemmed and hauled over And I just pricing kept being like so much.
0: double it at a zero. I know. <laughs> yeah. Which
1: is like so much easier said than done. But
0: Okay. Let's talk about, so that's my first big risk was big quitting risk. quitting the ATP, yep. going to my first uh, entrepreneurial endeavor. Uh, let's talk about your first endeavor, which ironically enough is also quitting a nine to five job. <laughs>
1: yeah. A lot, of, a lot of quitting. We just, we discovered this family quits a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm pro quitting yeah, yeah, for sure. pro quitting things that don't serve you anymore. Yeah. I would say my first big one was definitely, um, my first job out of college. So I was an advertising major, as you know, and I guess in my advertising kind of program, the big thing that you were trying to achieve was like, uh, a, new, a job in New York on Madison Avenue, that type of mad men thing. And I did an internship at this like crazy big advertising agency in New York right before my senior year. And I hated it. I just, I hated living in New York. I wanted to like it. Like I wanted to have this romanticized idea of myself of like big city girl hustling and bustling. And this is like the first important key is I think to separate the difference between what you want to be and who you actually are. And so I was like, I I know I want to be this thing, but I don't think I'm this thing. And so I was trying to seek out ways for me to have that big advertising successful thing without living in a big city. So I found this great agency in Durham, North Carolina. They were independent. So they weren't like as big as something like, I mean, these won't make any sense, but like an Ogilvy or a BBDO, but they had- Some
0: people, some people might.
1: But they had big clients. So, um, and they, they worked in this super cool, like edgy brick, brick building, building yeah. and old, like refurbished tobacco warehouse or whatever. And it just was like this dream of this creative agency. But the second I got there as a lot of jobs, especially first jobs are the reality did not match what I thought in my head. Number one, I wanted to work at this agency so badly that I had chosen to work in the media department because it was the one position they had to open when I was graduating, I am much more of a creative, and I now know, or an account planner, like a strategy, something that was better suited for my skill set rather than just being sort of a number cruncher and managing sales sales reps and stuff. So I pretty quickly found that I did not enjoy the work at all, not to mention I was the only junior media planner that was on um, – Two accounts, so I have two bosses at this point, and they're both pulling for my time.
0: This sounds like a healthy recipe for success.
1: And as a person, so like you know, remove now
0: not working in the creative environment you nope. want, and then stretching yourself, stretching super yourself thin. so thin.
1: Yeah. And little did I know, I didn't have the full self awareness at that point to know that I'm such a person that is can very easily fall prey to the expectations of other people. So for me, who's a super sensitive person and is always trying to meet the expectations of others, you can imagine with two people pulling at my time and having expectations on me, I basically thought I was failing all the time, which come to find out when I quit, I was not, I was doing a great job. That's why they were gave me two accounts, but it was just too much. Um, So at that same time, you and I were dating long distance. Mm -hmm. So this had something to do with it as well. And, it just became clear to me that you were doing this super creative, really interesting thing. And I was going to this job that I hated every day. And we were not living in the same place. When was this?
0: 2010? This was
1: 2010.
0: Okay.
1: And I was miserable. And I remember my mom coming to visit and I was like, mom, I think, I think I need to quit this job. And my mom, God love her because she has always supported me in whatever I do. But she is of course of the older generations mindset where she's like, honey i know that you don't like it but you have to be here a year like you can't put it on your resume if you're here less than a year and so i had this voice of my mom who i really respected in my ear and i had this idea of people judging me and saying i couldn't hack it i mean for someone who was a super overachiever the idea of quitting my first job like 5 6 months in was
0: i remember talking to you about it multiple times it and you terrifying. were you were like how can i ever get another job that people know no that i only worked here for me. 6 months they're going to think i'm a flake and i'm like I think you're reading too much into this and it's funny to think back on like those thoughts that I had then and like where we are now. Yeah. Um, and just how self-aware you are about like thinking overthinking things nowadays. So
1: I was terrified. I didn't know how to quit. Like I just didn't know. Um, Oh, to complicate things even further, basically the head of my department who had given me the job, um, the day that I interviewed for the position, he was like my final interview. So it was like a group interview. So you meet like five or six people or whatever. And so he's my final interview. And earlier that day, I had gotten a job offer from another interview that I'd had in, in Atlanta. And they offered me super low ball. They were like, oh, come live in Atlanta and make $22,000 $22,000 a year. And I was like, I remember, that's like, I went to a four year college. Like, I'm sorry, but that's, you can't live on that, you know? Yeah. And, um, but I, so I have a
0: friend who's spending more than that, more than that a year on mochas and coffee cakes. <laughs> like, come on like, guys. Come on. Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. And so, but so, um, I'm meeting with the head guy, and he goes, okay, well, we'll let you know next week. We're interviewing a couple more candidates, so we'll let you know. And this was one of my very first, like, I'm an adult now, and I have to, like, be assertive. And I said, I have to be really honest with you. This is my top choice. I want to work at this agency. I have this other job offer that I just got, and they they need me to tell them by today. I would rather work here than there, but this is just what's on the table. And... I don't know if it's helpful for anyone out there listening, but that was my first like, hey, just tell the truth. It's not that scary. Yeah. I was afraid he was going to think I was like trying to play games or whatever, but I just said, I'm not trying to play games. Like this is the truth. He decided to hire me. They, for- they canceled the rest of their interviews. So here I am five months later and this guy basically took a risk on me. But what you realize and what I know now with more time removed is that this is business. Like, Oh yeah. And that has probably happened to that guy a hundred times over with people and everyone has different desires and everybody's going to come and go and quit. It felt like I had personally offended somebody, but anyway, so it was terrifying for me. But once I made that mental switch of like, I need to do this, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't be at a job that I hate.
0: Now we should also let everybody know at home that that thought probably came along with the crying after work every day. Yeah. So yeah. that's where I think you went from a whisper to like things yeah. need to change.
1: Well, I always say that, and I,
0: I don't bring this up because no. I want everyone to know that like you cried at the end of the work. I bring it up Happy to like, to talk that's about how, how much I cry.
1: Happy to cry how right now if you need me to miserable.
0: <laughs> this job yes. was for you. Yes.
1: So I always say that, you know, there are some type of, some people I think that can be really unhappy in something like a job and they can just compartmentalize and suppress it or whatever. And kind of my gift and my curse is being a super sensitive person. So if I hate something, my whole body hates it. I will cry. Like like when I hated the, the job at the agency, every day I would drive home on the commute and I would go home and I would just cry. And it was just because I just, in my heart, knew that it wasn't the right thing for me. And basically wasting these days at this thing that wasn't right, just my whole being was like, this is not okay. And so I think that's what pushed me over the edge. Like, if I'm being honest, it wasn't even like the opportunity or the this or that. It was just like, I can't keep living like this kind of thing. Um, so, but like Jason said, I wasn't prepared to just jump off the deep end without having a safety net. So I started reaching out to people that I knew, connections that I had back in Jacksonville.
0: And I think that was the point at that time was you had taken this risk of sorts to go work in this agency in a place you'd never lived you had this whole new life, and then <laughs> I was such a draw that, uh, and you had your family in Jacksonville, you missed your family. And it was kind of like, I think I just want to come back to Jacksonville. I think our relationship we were trying was to worth really, it. well, and we were really trying to make it work. And I think we realized long distance wasn't going to be a yeah. good long term thing. And I sure enough wasn't moving.
1: That was another thing. Th- <laughs> Sorry, I didn't laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That's okay. Um, That was another thing is I had all these stories in my head too about like, are people going to think that I'm moving back to Jacksonville just for Jason? Which if I was honest with myself, definitely was a huge factor in it. But people were like, oh, no what, it, what if it doesn't work out? Like, and you threw away this, you know, this career that you could have had in advertising. And I think for anyone who has found themselves in that situation where it's like this relationship over career or whatever, sometimes that can be a real hard decision to make. And for me, it was knowing that even if I moved back to Jacksonville and it didn't work out with us, I would be okay. Right. So it wasn't like I was putting all my eggs in this You one could be basket. my barista.
0: Like, I would support you. This is where I'm just going to stay this entire episode. No,
1: it, not if we broke up. That would be so weird. That'd be fine. Just don't <laughs> spit in my drink. <laughs> I would. No, but that was the thing is I asked myself. I said, okay, if for some reason I went, like, kind of all in on this and it didn't work out, would I be okay? And the answer was yes. And so then I was like, okay, then, then I can do this. Um, and so I did find a job at a, an agency in Jacksonville. And they, I think they did ask me a question about why I was leaving so soon. And when you
0: when you were looking for this job, do you remember, were you just emailing people or was it when you... I
1: was emailing people. Yeah. It was connections that I had in Jacksonville. I actually remember exactly who it was. It was Gina Starr nice. from Jacksonville. I had connected with her via social media because she had kind of been in your circles from doing stuff in Jacksonville. And so we had a little bit of context. I emailed her. I reached out to her. I said, do you know of any positions? She said, actually, I just heard this position's opened up. It's not even on job boards yet yada, yada, resume gets passed along, did a phone interview. Um, and then, oh, and then I did a, I did an in-person interview when I was came
0: and visited, came and visited
1: you It went really well. And the position was actually for a social media manager. And so I felt like at least, and it was this new department they were creating. So I thought at least this will give me more creativity because it's not this old institutionalized kind of department. Um, and and I did that for a year, and so I did quit. And I still remember the day that I quit. And I've never felt so sick to my stomach in my whole life. Yeah. Um, I think I'm not super proud to admit this, but I'm happy to admit it now. I think I might have even made up like a white lie about like a family <laughs> member who <laughs> needed my help. I don't remember. Stop um, it. Stop it. Like can't can't be sure I didn't didn't use that. Yeah. But that was how like just. Not confident I was at the time in standing in my truth and being like, hey, this is a better choice for me. Um, and I was so desperately afraid of letting people down, but hey, you do what you gotta do. Do
0: you remember the feeling? Because I distinctly remember the feeling of like, you make the decision to take this big risk, you then take the risk and quitting your good job and then moving on to this next one. And do you remember the the final the, like the feeling of relief after that? So you go through this like this is so uncomfortable. I don't know if I made the right decision. Did I do everything wrong? And then for me there was just a turning point where I realized, "Oh my gosh, like I just feel so much better." Like I don't feel like I'm so bogged down. Like I don't feel like I'm in this beige cloud anymore for me personally. For me
1: it was the instant that I told my boss mm. that I was quitting. The instant. So you
0: had all the uncomfortable lead-up time where you just felt sick to your stomach and then as soon as you told your boss
1: it felt like such a huge burden off my shoulders and it was one of those things where it's like I don't even care what the next thing is I don't even care how that turns out it's just I was to the point with that current state that I couldn't take another step you know I just knew it was so wrong for me so sometimes you don't know if the next thing is right you just know that this thing is wrong and that was the case for me um so that's why I think ours are like a little bit different but um that was the case with that and then the second that I packed up all my stuff and like We, I think we did the thing where I was like, oh, it was near the holidays at the time. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just, I didn't have a lot of stuff. And so you were like, you can stay with me over the holidays and then we'll look for an apartment, you know, come beginning of the year. And then we've been living together ever since.
0: Well, I mean, I also moved you in a U-Haul and drove a U-Haul like eight hours. A rickety U-Haul that didn't have AC. It was was a terrible U-Haul.
1: We drove that whole way not even talking to each other. We were in different vehicles. No, we,
0: I think we just talked on the phone. I think we literally just, this is like back when you still wanted That's to make phone cute. calls. I know, we were so cute.
1: How cute. We was probably that? listened
0: to songs and stuff. Yeah,
1: also, 100% of the time where I was at that agency job, I was just talking oh, to you on I'd, Skype chat.
0: You know what? I what? bet you I know what we did because uh, I had gone on long road trips with my family and we used walkie talkies instead of the phone. I bet you I purchased walkie talkies. I do remember walkie talkies. Yeah, because that would have been like That's a very me cuter. thing to do. I know.
1: It's way cuter. <laughs>
0: love you. Did we have
1: like cool call signs?
0: Probably. I imagine we had a lot of things in eight hours to keep keep Mm -hmm. us going.
1: Um, that, so that was my big first risk. But the other one I want to bring up was a year after that, where I ended up leaving that social media job to come work for you.
0: You're a real nine to five quitter.
1: Once I got that first taste of quitting, (laughs) (laughs) like I want to quit everything. Um, no, I, I did stay there for almost a year, I think. And Oh, fun fact about that The day I was going to go tell my boss that I was quitting, we had a staff meeting and I was named employee of the month.
0: Yeah, you were. (laughs) And I was like, I'll
1: wait till Monday. But yeah, I quit the Monday after I was named employee of the month. And I'm pretty sure it was because they could tell that I was like fed up and they were like, let's just see if this will help. Um, no, it was, that was both of those jobs were great places to work, just not for me. So that's the thing. Um, you have to do what's right for you. And the reason I bring up the second th- risk was because that was then, that wasn't just like moving cities and quitting and doing all that. That was, I am no longer getting a paycheck from a, a company anymore. I have to go out and get my own insurance. That, that for some reason was the scariest I thing I remember
0: to me. this conversation.
1: Like no benefits. Like you have to just go... Cause I felt like I was just finally getting the hang of what it meant to be an adult, which was like, you get this paycheck and you get it's deposited in your bank account and you manage your bill pay and you pay for health or you, you know, it's kind of funny when you actually think about it, like
0: working for a nine to five is way less of being an adult than working for yourself. Because it's like, oh hey, yeah, here's the insurance you sign up for. Here's the 401k you it's sign like up paid for. It's like paint by numbers. Here's the taxes you're going to yeah. want to deduct, and like you want to direct deposit it. We can do all that for you. Whereas working for yourself, you're like the wild wild west.
1: But that's what I mean. So I I had this like kind of idea of what adulthood was, and I thought that was all really scary. And then it was like, oh no, here's you're here's not real, even paint yeah. by numbers anymore. It's like entrepreneurial adulthood. So that was really scary. But once I went and got my own health plan and I was like, that wasn't so hard. That was just like a thing that I had to do and I did it and it's fine. Um,
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting to talk about this this next uh, risk that you took. It's kind of a risk we both took because at the time we were living together, not working together. So I was doing my I Wear Your Shirt thing. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, I wore t-shirts for a living for five years from 2009 to 2013. And every single day I put on a different shirt, filmed a video, recorded a live video show, took photos, uh, was, was active on social media, which I just mean I like posted the photos and things. Yeah. Said hello to people. Um, and it was, it was quite a weird thing to be doing on a daily basis in, in so much as to say our days were very different. Yes. So we would wake up, I would probably wake up earlier than you. Uh, I would start by taking my like photo of the day and do a lot of stuff. And a lot of times I would be getting ready to film a video early because I had to film, edit, and upload a video every single day and it would take like eight hours. Um, so I do remember distinctly one day where I was dressing up, or I was dressing up, but I was wearing a shirt for a Halloween costume company, but I was dressing up in the lion costume that they gave me, and I wanted to take it one step further. Like, it was a full lion outfit, except for the face, but I wanted the face to really be locked in, and so you did my my face makeup, uh, for this I do lion, that. yeah,
1: yeah, and it was like the most creative thing that I did, even including <laughs> anything I did at my job. And, and then, then like- you were like, "Okay,
0: I'm gonna finish doing your face makeup as an adult, who's an adult man who probably shouldn't be wearing face makeup. I'm gonna do it. Now I'm gonna go to my job."
1: Yeah, I can also remember a similar experience where, like, right at the foot of the stairs. You remember you had that wicker mirror, mirror. Yeah.
0: That's, I believe, where we did the lion makeup. Yeah,
1: and before we, before I went out the front door to go get in my car to go to work, and this was <laughs> a different day, and you were wearing a a woman's dress. Yeah, and you had purchased like ninety nine cent red, the reddest lipstick that you can ever imagine. Yeah, at like CVS or something, and you're like, can you just help me apply my lipstick before you go? I have to film this video, and I'm like, look, I'm like. Do this. And I'm like doing your life I just didn't know
0: what to do with my mouth. And then
1: you turned around and we both looked in the mirror and I was like, what is my life yeah. right now? And do you remember
0: like, that okay, color honey. of red, what I called it?
1: SOS red. Call
0: for help. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I called the color. Uh, so anyway, we, we had these very different lives work-wise. Yeah. But we lived together. We were making our relationship work. And I, I remember when things started to get really busy for me. And so this was end of 2010 to 2011 when uh, my i reassure we business went from managing two company or one company per day to five companies per day and then also having employees to manage um, and went from two people to then seven people and it was at these moments where you would come home and in the morning it was all like okay i'm excited to start this day but by the end of your work day when you got home i had done so much stuff managing people doing all these things hosting a live show i mean i was just dead tired exhausted and I still had more work and to you do. were still
1: working yeah that and was I, really hard yeah
0: and I think you started to see the writing was on the wall of like okay I don't love this new job I'm working in a dungeon a dark dungeon and there's a skylight that I can sit under but that's it you didn't love the clients that you were working with and we don't have to name them because I don't even want their name on this show You didn't
1: love the commute it was yeah the
0: commute was really hour, rough both ways yeah um and you came home and you saw just how like drained and and just you know, tired I was every single day. And so there, there became this moment in, in our relationship where I think you saw an ability or an opportunity to help me. And I was really worried because I was like, you know, Uh, first of all, I don't know where the money is going to come from to pay you to leave your job. But second, like, how is this going to affect our relationship? Like that to me was a huge risk of, you know, we just navigated long distance, figuring that out and then finally getting in kind of a little bit of a groove in our lives. And uh Oh, now we we were going to work next to each other and you were going to work for me. And what was that going to be like? And that felt really scary.
1: Yeah. And truthfully for me, what it was, was it was my first Taste. This is another going back to the thing of like test drive the thing or whatever. That was like my way of test driving being an entre- entrepreneur because I got to sort of experience it through your eyes. And I, as as tired as you were, and as like overworked as you were, I saw. Th- the amazing power of being able to create something and doing it a hundred percent for yourself. And I was like t- pretty jealous of that. And so I found myself coming home from work and if you had to work, I, I would help you film videos or I would help you brainstorm ideas or things like that. And I felt, Oh, the other big thing was like, I felt like I made an impact. So when I went to work, a lot of times, I just felt like I was like in a system mm-hmm. and like, I didn't hundred percent feel like my ideas were being translated to, you know, progress or movement or things that were happening whereas I could tell you some ideas and then you could go and do them and it just was this amazing thing of like oh I actually have power here and as a person who's one or two years out of college you rarely do you feel like you have any power at a job you're just sort of a hired hand you know yeah um and so I sort of got very like lured in by that feeling of entrepreneurship of like yes it's 100 up to you but it's also 100 percent up to you and so, yeah, I, the, the idea started percolating in my head. I, the way that I remember it is that I wasn't that worried about us working together.
0: Yeah. I I don't think I was maybe outwardly worried about it, but I definitely was internally worried about it because I mean, truthfully our our relationship up until that point, like we'd had a little, a couple little bumps in the road of me dealing with not being very emotional and you needing more emotional openness, which we'll dig into another. Let's not talk about it now. Uh, (laughs) no, but I actually do want to talk about that in a separate episode, but, um, you know, so I just felt like we had done a lot of work. I didn't want to ruin it by presenting us with a huge other obstacle. Yeah. And really, I, I think the financial side of it was a big worry for me as yeah. well, because at that time I was already spending $25,000 a month just on salaries alone. Yeah. And to say, okay, like the most I can probably pay you is $3,000 a month or yeah. less than that. I was, think it. I think it was actually it, less than that. It
1: was because it was less than, <laughs> I remember distinctly because my first salary out of college was like, something like 35 my, oh, yeah. my next job was like 32 and then you were like I can't even pay you that and so all my friends were like I just got a promotion like <laughs> another 10 grand a year and blah, blah blah and I'm like I'm going in the wrong direction the good thing
0: was though you went lower in salary but way, way up on Jason time
1: I was gonna say way lower on cost of living
0: well that too yeah you
1: weren't charging me rent but anyway um nice of you very nice yeah, of you
0: yeah I know what um, gonna say.
1: but so Yeah. And for me, it was also a little bit of the same thing I talked about before, which is like, if it doesn't work out, we'll be okay. Like, just tell me it's not working out and then I'll go get a different job. That's really the approach I had. So I think, you know, again, for anybody out there who's trying to navigate some type of big risk, just telling yourself, like, if I want to try this thing, but what's my plan if it doesn't work out? And then I think that so much of that can help you, uh, finally take that risk because, you know, I'll be okay on the other side of it. You know what I mean? Um, so as I you and I were navigating that tell them that my like how we ended up working together.
0: Yeah, so I think we just had multiple conversations like you would come home from work and I had all whole bunch of stuff and I think you actually started helping me with things. So like you started getting me organized with some processes. I think that was like one of the first forays into you were more process oriented, even though I seem like the more analytical one, you had more of a kind of, like
1: we got to get these clients into a spreadsheet.
0: Exactly. And, and so you started helping out with some of that stuff, which was really good. And then even just like organizing stuff and like heading, helping like set up and break down and like do all those things, you know, that was doing the
1: t-shirt, like the the logos on the t-shirt.
0: Yes. Doing, doing those things. And, uh, I think for me, it just became one of those things where, I realized how much help you could be mm-hmm. in this and that I had only done it myself on my own for the previous two years plus. And I was like, wow, like someone else can help take just like a little bit of weight off my shoulders. This is gonna be amazing. And so I, I, I don't remember the exact details of how it happened, but here's oh, my recollection and Go then ahead. you can, um, was that I remember just having a conversation with you and I, I remember you bringing it to me going, you need to hire me. Here are the things that I can help you with, like you're too stressed out, you have too much on your plate, like let's make this happen. Yeah. Like that's kind of how I remembered it.
1: Similarly, you had our Did your
0: did your story involve a knife?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, ha- you hire hired me maybe. you hired me at knife point. Yeah. No. Um you We were, don't
0: advocate violence around here. We do
1: not. You were already thinking of hiring an assistant. I think it had become clear to you that you needed
0: And I had I had someone who you I did. Had, you had hired part-time. for that. Yes. And they had actually turned from that into more of a, um, operations role. So like managing all the other people and helping facilitate that. But I did need someone to like help with emails, help with other things, help with just all the odds and ends. And you
1: were talking about that. And I had already planted the seed in my head where I was like, I'm over this other job. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. So yeah, I pitched myself to you and I was like, you're not going to hire anybody else. You're going to hire me because you can get me for way cheaper and I'll work more hours because we live in the same place and it may not work out, but if it doesn't work out, then I'll just go get a different job, And but I think it's gonna work out, it's gonna be great. And you were like, okay, and that was that, and we, I quit my job, and... I mean,
0: I didn't have a plan for how to pay you, I don't, I mean, maybe there was like a month or two of salary, and I don't even remember if we had that specific conversation, but I do remember at the time, there was one big client and I think it was Citrix at the time, but like I was waiting on a bigger deal with them to come through Mm -hmm. and that deal alone would cover your salary for like six months. And that deal actually did come through, which was like really good timing.
1: Yeah. And looking back, it's really funny because I'm, I'm realizing now that even from those like very early days, I feel like we approached everything sort of as a team.
0: Oh yeah. So let's talk about that for a second. I mean, I don't necessarily know if this is going to help the people at home who are listening to this, but, um, when you and i kind of started working together and then i officially hired you on because you made me an offer i couldn't refuse um i i never looked at it as like ceo and worker or like boss and assistant i never saw it that way and i just saw it as you have been so instrumental in coming up with creative ideas for our rear shirt for helping me stay sane um for helping film videos like it was very much a collaborative effort and You know, you weren't a partner in the company in any way, but that's how I looked at you Mm -hmm. uh, on paper, I should say. And I looked at it that way. And so, you know, I think that was a really good way for us to work together and not feel, especially any uh, hit on our relationship of like, okay, now we have to turn off CEO Jason and we have to become like boyfriend Jason at the time. Yeah.
1: The interesting caveat to that though, is I very distinctly remember in my own mind making a little bit of a a nuanced choice there to be like, yes, we're going to treat each other as equals and we're going to like not disrespect each other. You're not going to like be like, Oh, can you run next door and get me coffee type thing? However, even
0: though a mocha and a coffee cake would have been nice
1: (laughs) right next door. We had a Starbucks right by your house. We really did. No, but, um, I thought to myself, don't forget this is his company. And so I had to make peace with the fact of we're, we're actually not partners here. Like, This is your business. This is something that you started. This is your idea. And just being able to make that subtle distinction in my mind, I feel like helped us not butt heads as much as we probably could because it wasn't me coming in and being like, I have all these ideas about like where we're going to take this company, whatever. I just was very careful to sort of let you lead, but make sure that my opinion was heard and everything like that. But I I do think that sometimes that can cause friction is when suddenly a new partner arrives and you know, that could lead you to feel threatened or you to feel confused or whatever. And so I, it's funny, like we definitely, from a respect perspective, a respective Ooh, Nice. <laughs> from that perspective, we definitely had like mutual respect, but it was very conscious on my part to make sure that if it was a 51, 49 situation, you had the 51 because it was your business.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's just a really important point if you're maybe not in the nine to five journey looking to leave that, but maybe you're in um, a place where you want to start a business with a friend or or maybe you are at a nine to five and you want to go work for a small startup or what have you, is that you just know what your role is going to be mm-hmm. and that you and the person you're going to work for are crystal clear. Crystal because clear. In, the, in the normal nine to five like go to work mode, everyone gets it, there's a hierarchy, there's an org chart, you have a boss, you have people who are on your left, like it's very clear.
1: Different than an org chart?
0: Very different than an org chart, which in Lord of the Rings is important, so you know which exactly. orcs you can you know, kind of match up with. Um, what I was gonna say though is in a startup environment, I think more established startups, there's still the org chart and all that stuff, but in like a working for or with a friend, there's not necessarily those roles. And it can also feel weird. I think a lot of us don't want to call ourselves CEO. Like I never called myself CEO. Um, If anything, it was always chief t-shirt wearer. That was it. Um, But if you can figure out, you know, where you think you fit and then have that conversation with the person you're going to work with, that can just, you know, jump any hurdles that might happen way in advance so yeah. you never have to run into issues of wit, like this is my company and having right. those conversations
1: not to mention like i'm sure part of the, my decision to do that was because i was brand new i didn't know what i was doing and so i didn't want all of the pressure to be complete equals in that scenario like you had been running your own business for many more years than i had so i was content to kind of be a more supportive role and i think some people are that way they want to be the number 2 not the number 1 because right. you 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 know, the number one has all the pressure. So I think like you said, just, you know, we were very vocal about those types of dynamics. We talked about it a lot as much as we tried to keep our relationship separate. We were very naive, I think, to think that we were going to be like work Jason and Carol during the day and then like relationship Jason and Carol at night. And then you figure out very quickly it just all blends together, yeah and we, can be a good thing.
0: I think we have a full other episode in us about what it takes to work as a husband and wife duo or a boyfriend and girlfriend duo. Partner and partner. Uh, partner and partner duo as well. Thank you. Uh, and so we'll get to that. But I wanted to talk about, I think we've kind of covered the most of this. If you want to maybe just move to our big move, our big life move. Our big
1: move. Okay. So we've talked mostly about jobs and taking big risks up to this point. But I think another great example of taking a big risk is making a huge life move, move. like geography wise. And so for us, we had lived in Jacksonville, Florida. I am from Jacksonville, Florida originally. That's where I was born. Um, And so I did my little stint in North Carolina, but then I came back. So pretty much a lifer in Jacksonville and Jason owned a home there. So when I moved in with him up to that point, I think we had lived there for Five years? About? Yeah, I
0: mean, I'd lived in Jacksonville from 2000, so at that right. point it was 15 years. Yeah, 12, 15 years, whatever. Yeah. yeah, it was. It ended up being 15 by the end of it. But um, yeah, it was really it was interesting because I remember specifically we we were driving somewhere at some point and we'd been dating for a while and you were like, "Do you see yourself living in Florida forever?" And I just was so cut and dry like, "I'm going to live here forever." And for all intents and purposes. It is a really nice town, uh, Punta Vedra Beach, where we used to live. The ocean is fantastic. Uh, it's a very affluent area, so there's no crime. You have to worry about it all. Um, but in my mind, I had moved around a lot as a kid to all these different areas, and I just thought like Florida was the place I wanted to live forever. You and loved the
1: heat. Yeah, and I really, year.
0: yeah, I loved it, and and I just think at, at that time in my life, I just couldn't think of anything else. That,
1: Both of our families lived there yeah. completely, so yeah, it just it seemed. And I don't great. even know
0: that you necessarily thought like I want to live somewhere else it was just more you know do you see yourself living anywhere else or do you just no yeah here?
1: I actually remember it was our first date that's why I asked so I'm like oh wow should.
0: first date yeah
1: I was like we should probably be on the same page with this stuff like before we get in too deep and I was like so do you want to live here the rest of your life like what's your deal and you were like yes yeah I want to live in Ponte Vedra for the rest of my life and I was like okay I can get down with that like now, my whole family's here like all right
0: give myself a little credit this what? was like 24 25 year old Jason he was naive he's so naive yeah
1: um oh it's so weird no 26, you were 27 26. you were 27 when we met sorry 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 35 um I'm
0: 52 now how old am I
1: okay so where <laughs> did this where did the whisper get planted for us to move do you remember I
0: really don't.
1: It had to have been before Misfit because that's when we like really decided San Diego. Yeah. I
0: I think some of the things that started happening were, number one, we lived in this house that I had purchased and I had purchased it with the assumption that in 2008 ding, 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 when I decided to buy it, that it was going to be a great investment. (laughs) Now, unfortunately, I bought it right before the economy. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, yeah, cool, 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 cool. Right before the economy collapsed. So I literally paid top, top dollar for this house. And it was $318,000 at the time. Um, And I really... Really blame the real estate agent that sold me on this house. That guy, I still am angry at that guy to this day. Okay, I played him in basketball, and I've taken it out of him a little bit. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you, you took it. To I him. absolutely
0: have. Um, But I just, I kind of felt a little bit like we were trapped. And you know, you had brought this like creative and visual and fun to the house, where I had had just really no taste at all for mm-hmm. anything. Well, and, and you
1: were in work mode for so long. You were in right. "I wear your shirt" grind mode. So I don't think you even wanted to think about any other factors or life things. Like you were just so busy trying to get the business going that I don't think you had time to think about it.
0: Yeah, and so I think what naturally happened was we started to both do as much as we could with this home that we lived in and we worked from our home. So we spent all of our time there and it just never felt... Great. And so I really felt trapped by the mortgage because none of the houses were selling in our neighborhood. No one was putting their house up for sale. And so after owning that house for like five or six years at that time, I just wasn't sure what we could do, but it just really felt like, you know what? this is not the place I want to be spending any more time. Like it just finally had run its course.
1: I'm realizing now that also the timing of it was, so we had gone to at least one Misfit conference before. And so
0: Misfit conference for those of you who don't know, which is probably everybody, uh, was a small conference in Fargo, North Dakota. We first went to it in 2013.
1: Run by our friends, AJ and Melissa Leon.
0: And it was a very handcrafted event. I think the first year there were maybe a hundred people there at most. And it was in this little yoga art studio that they set up and didn't look like a yoga or an art studio Um, and they brought in furniture from around the town and just all had all this like
1: crazy... Handcrafted food and name tags made of of like embossed wood. wood. Yeah
0: like actual laser engraved wood. And the
1: people there I mean you had speakers from all over everything from like people who ran a Shakespeare company to spoken word poets to violinists to business people and it was just this incredible incredible experience and what we... I think took away the most was meeting people who had, I would say, this common thread of intentional living. So really wanting to design their own lives based on whatever their values are. And that's something, as most of you know, that have listened to the show or, or checked out Wandering Aimfully, that's now something that we carry through in every aspect of our lives. Um, and that was where that seed was really planted. And so I think we came back from that conference and so you go to this conference in Fargo North, Dakota, Fargo, North Dakota and you're hanging out with people and you're at this like art gallery and your you're, you're, your horizons are literally expanding before your eyes and then you go, come back to this house in Florida that suddenly by comparison just feels like you said confined. Yeah. It was like we suddenly could see the world beyond our own little bubble and we were like, we want to go check that out.
0: So also what happened at Fargo yeah. was talking with other people who were like, where are you from? You're like, Oh, Jackson, Florida. I'm like, well, where is that? And then other people be like, Oh, I'm from here, but I'm thinking about moving somewhere. And we were like, thinking about moving what do you mean thinking about (laughs) moving
1: what do you mean moving and
0: so I think that first year it was the whisper like very quiet whisper though but we were like we were very much unhappy with our living situation Mm -hmm. home wise at that time
1: and a lot of people who were nomads like AJ and Melissa are literal nomads they don't really have a home base they live all over the world and going whoa like this is yeah. a lifestyle and yeah just, and
0: we we probably well we definitely couldn't have lived all over the world because we had our fur child plaxico right
1: but like just but that we idea could, right
0: like we could live from somewhere else we're, we could work from somewhere else and we could live somewhere else um and that wasn't something that really had crossed my mind no too much.
1: and i remember aj and melissa specifically said that the reason they had the conference in fargo is because they found it found this town on some of their travels and fargo was so so cool and we were like how many other cool places exist out there that we haven't even thought about?
0: Right. And, yeah, so I think what really happened is between that first year of of Misfit to the second year, well, a lot of things happened. So I shut down the I Shirt business. It ended up just running itself into the ground and running us into the ground financially and started making some bigger changes personally and just opening up about a lot of the stuff that had gone on. And then you... I had to let you go. You know, your salary was too much. I paid you too much. And you decided to start your own business uh, once you got that entrepreneurial itch, which was made vibrant.
1: Yes, which truthfully was less let me start my own business and more let me do anything possible to not go back to a real job.
0: yeah, and so we were both kind of in this weird murky area. You had a direction you were going in. I had no direction I was going in. Um, Luckily, I think I still had some public speaking stuff and then was just taking on some random video production stuff here Mm -hmm. and there. Um, And I had started dabbling in online course world and so that was floating a lot of our revenue um, because we certainly didn't have any savings. Not at all. Um, But between that first year, so Quit I wear your shirt after the first misfit. You started made vibrant. The next misfit, I think we were like ready for a big change. Like yeah. you had this new company you were building. Yep. I kind of had some semblance of stuff that I was doing, but I just, I think we both knew like, we wanted a fresh start, we wanted something different. We had been doing that in our work lives, now we wanted that in our live lives. Live lives. And so I remember having breakfast one morning with Clay and Julia and C.C. Chapman uh, at the little hotel, and just kind of joking around with Clay and Julia, and they were like, we're thinking about moving, we live in New York right now, but it's really expensive, and we don't really love it anymore, and we're thinking about like, Portland, or Austin, or San Diego. And we were like, we're thinking about Portland or Austin or San Diego. And I think I blurted out or Julia blurted out.
1: It was definitely you two. Yeah.
0: You and Julia. Both of us, I'm not sure which order it was, we were like let's just get a place together in San Diego or something. And we all kind of stared at each other and Cece was like, you know, he was definitely talking with us, was kind of that way, He's like, should I just like back away, it's <laughs> kind of weird. I'm not gonna move with you guys, I have a whole family that I live with. Uh, and that really was the spark that kind of set us forward. And I think quickly after that, we started looking at places to rent, we decided San Diego purely for the weather, um, because we just didn't want to take a chance on more heat in Austin. Yep. And then, you know, Portland sounded awesome, but you know, we really liked the nice weather.
1: Yeah. And it took us about, I can't remember exactly how long, six to nine months, like from that first initial thing to, we did two trips yeah, out think, to San Diego with Clay and Julia to. I
0: think the first trip was actually two months after that. Cause it was in the summer. I remember uh-huh. it was in like July Yep, and that was the first where we were like, we want to test the waters, which goes back to kind of a little bit of even our, our work transitions in our work risks was how can we dip our toes in this and make sure that we're not just leaping headfirst into something and may end up in a really bad position yeah and so that was let's go hang out with these people in like a very close quarter environment the same home and see what that's like because if it doesn't go well it's not going to go well living together. Right. Um, so we did that, that worked out well.
1: Yep. And And we looked at neighborhoods like where we would all like to live and kind of narrowed down what we'd all want in a place. And so, yeah, the ball just kept moving. And I'm realizing now that that's very much due to you, (laughs) that you just are the person who take the next step, you take the next step. And I think so many times, you know, people go, Oh, I want to make this change in my life or whatever. And they just, all they do is think about it. They don't yeah. ever do an action. And I think what you're really good at is every time we either talked with Claire or every time you and I had a conversation, you took the next step. Yeah. So it was, "Oh, I'm going to spend an hour and look at places in San Diego." Or, "Oh, I'm going to like price out, you know, what it would how would we get rid of our mortgage or could we have renters or like whatever those next steps right. are." So that's a good takeaway for people too. Like if you just feel like you have this idea for this big risk that you want to take, but you don't you can't seem to make any progress on it. Every time you think about it, come away with one tiny action that you can take that'll get you closer.
0: Yeah. And, and so for us, that just was like, let's not try and do everything up front. We're not moving tomorrow. Let's figure out what would it look like to, um, you know, rent our home or sell our home as you talked about um and i think we actually started that process too is that we were like well let's start seeing if we can sell our house because if we can sell our house then i'm going to make all this money back that i invested into this home which spoiler alert i didn't um, and we you know make it much easier and and it really it was kind of interesting like nothing became easy in that process and it was not the perfect time for us to move we did not have a cushion of money uh, at the time we were still in debt in debt I don't think Made Vibrant at that time yet was making consistent money. I think you had had like one or two clients at that point, which were good money, but it wasn't consistent. Um, And my income certainly wasn't consistent. And it was all these things that were pointing like, a house we probably couldn't sell, income was in flux, we had all this debt, uh, we didn't really know these people, we'd never lived in San Diego. I mean, I grew up in San Diego for like a couple years, but I don't remember it at all, I was little.
1: all signs point to, don't
0: do this. Stay where you are, stay in your comfort zone and we just decided well
1: i would say but so that's all the practical stuff but i feel like if that spark is big enough like if that whisper has now become you know a strong enough voice then you know you have to do it. And yeah. like, you will figure it out. But it's like, we think that all the logistics are the important parts, but really it's that nagging feeling that you have. That's the real important part because that won't go away. And if anything, it will just become a more and more a source of dissatisfaction the longer you wait to make that change. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, we think of all of these line items as things that are the real things to pay attention to, but really the thing to pay attention to is the whisper. That is now becoming a louder voice.
0: It's basically the, whis- the whisper becomes a lion's roar in your ear. Arr- the lion. That, that yeah, that's what I took it back to. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think you know that that kind of fast-forwarded us to uh we started looking at places we found a place that we really really liked and that was really cool um i don't even remember how i initially found the place that we decided to move into i just remember finding the photography and there was a geodesic you, greenhouse
1: i think you found it on zillow and it was poorly decorated so you just thought this isn't for us clay found the video yeah. and sent it to you and was like this place looks incredible and we were like the video is very different from the, the pictures f- yeah. and you said oh i think i did at this place, got in touch with oh, a real yeah, that's estate right. agent yeah, yeah. over here. We flew out there to look at it. He showed us the place. We fell in love. We were like, please, we want this place. Well
0: we were I remember when we were in the driveway, we had just looked at it and another car pulled up. Yeah. And we had talked to them. When we were leaving. We we're like, we really like it, and like we really liked it because the way that it was set up was awesome. It was two separate wings, so it was perfect for us. Like a central living and dining, and it was super um, open and modern. And it was just really nice. Uh, and we were and like the pool, the water slide, the zip line. I mean, I'm describing this house. So it should sound like a fun zone. It was a fun zone. Um, and yeah, I mean, I remember at that point we were so ready and so committed to do this, but yet still everything wasn't ironed out. Still didn't have a thing to do with the house. Income is still in flex, still a debt. And I think we just decided that we wanted this thing, and you say this all the time, more than we fear the reality that it took to get it. Right. So we were going to have to do something with the house, get renters or something, because I couldn't afford the mortgage and rent. Uh, We were going to have to figure out, what do we do with all of our stuff? Do we sell it? Do we move it? Spoiler Um,
1: alert, we sold it.
0: Spoiler alert, we sold it. Um, You know, is it going to be good living with these people? Like, we have no idea. Uh, But all these things, we just, we wanted it more. We wanted that change yeah and and I think one of the things that really set us over the edge before we made the final commitment was it was kind of going back to that first feeling I had when I quit my nine-to-five job to start my first company which was now is the perfect time to do this we don't have kids sure we have debt sure we have these things but you know what like worst case scenario we could move out there get rid of all of our stuff it could be terrible and we could move back into one of our parents houses like that's the worst case scenario which
1: goes back to my whole thing about like know that you're going to be okay if it doesn't work out and then you that can help bolster your courage to go do the thing
0: yeah yeah and so we did it and we ended up I ended up finding a uh, property management company that that rented our house and we actually made like a little bit of a profit every month on that which was kind of nice yep Um, they dealt with all the logistics which was amazing and we you know business stuff got going and it was really fun like this whole new change for us there was this one theme which was adventure yep and, and, and that was just super powerful yep. and continued to be really powerful. And I think really sparked us forward into like the position that we're in right now.
1: Well, that was another thing that I wanted to bring up is funny enough because of all of these things that were pointing to us saying, this was a bad time to do this. We were in debt and all this stuff that year. We, that first year that we were in that house, we got out of debt. Yeah. And I chalk that up to, like now, I granted,
0: s- we'd been working on it before that. Yes, but, yeah. yes,
1: but I mean, the the we uh, first of all, my business especially, like I said, tripled in revenue. So I think that when we finally made space and took that, like I think it just speaks to how, like I said, how powerful that f- that feeling is inside. That when you want the change, because finally, when we listened to it and we actually did it it fueled so many different aspects of our lives, like being able to jumpstart our businesses and grow them so that we could pay off our debt. And so all of these reasons like of, Oh, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because there's all these reasons not to do this thing. But it's like maybe doing the thing is going to actually give you the kickstart you need to actually pay off your debt or actually make the changes that you want. So that's something to think about. Um, and then also I want to point out to people when you are thinking about taking a big risk, Think about ways that you can be creative about it. So you know, people thought we were nuts to move in with another couple, but the truth is we would never have been able to get the place that we got had we decided to live by ourselves. And because our financial constraints were so, you know, high at the time, because we weren't making a lot of money and all these things, we had to get creative and we had to say, okay, we want to make, take this big risk, but maybe there's a way that we can do it. That'll check some of those boxes, which is lowering our mortgage or, you know, things like that. So I just, I challenge people to whatever that thing is that you might want to do don't just, don't just picture it with the traditional mindset of there's only this one way that I can get it done. It's like, no, like there are all these different creative solutions that you might be able to come up with.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, even like the guy who rented us his $2 million home, cause he later sold it while we were living there. Like it's probably a risk to have these two <laughs> couples move in and didn't want a dog, but ended up allowing a dog. And there's just all these little things that go along the way. And you just have to be willing to say, I'm going to stretch beyond my comfort zone. I'm going to ask for things that I probably would normally ask for. I'd be afraid to ask for. Um, and you do have to have a little bit of, uh, probably like stars aligning along the way for things to happen. Uh, but you figure it out and you make it work. And you know, for us, I think that change moving from Florida to California was probably the, like in size of stepping stones. I think all the stepping stones before that were reasonably large. This was like, we both jumped as far as we could uh forward, and I think it has proved to you know just continue to give us like dividends and yeah. creative uh, energy and yeah and, and like you said, I mean way. it led to paying off debt it led to coming up with by my future the idea in that house, which then became by our future, which then became wandering aimfully, which is what this entire thing is about, which is really cool i mean i, I strongly believe that would not have happened and we stayed in Florida Definitely. um so yeah, I think to kind of wrap this this topic of how to take a big risks and our story uh, of how we've taken risks over the years is really just, to not be afraid of all the little things that you assume might happen, which is another thing that we naturally do as humans when it comes to risks is we put all these roadblocks in front of us before they're actually real roadblocks in front of us. Yeah. And and I think that's such an important thing that you realize it gets so much easier for us now. I mean, taking risks for us now, sure, it's still a lot of mental effort. It's still a lot of decision-making. It's still tough, but it's so much easier now than it was in 2013 when we first decided to do this or in 2007 or 2005 um, it just gets easier the more that you do it
1: yeah and i i think another big part of it too is asking yourself you may not know what the next right thing is on the other side of that risk but you might the only thing that you might know is that whatever you're doing right now isn't working and sometimes that can be enough to push you forward to take that risk because you just say, okay, there has to be something better than this, yeah. And that's a, a kind of what I equate, like your beige existence thing, right. and kind of my unhappiness at my job. Like I don't know what's on the other side of this risk, but it has to be better than than living this every day. Um, and then I would also say, just knowing that if you are going to take that leap, having an idea in your head about I, I I'll be okay if it doesn't work out, yeah, because at least I went for it, and and it's going to lead me to a different little you know sidestep, and and just having a willingness to. Go wherever the flow of that is going to take you. I think that can sometimes help. Like I said, bolster your courage.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that I believe wraps up the topic for today's episode, but it does not wrap up our the final show. segment here because the show, wandering aimfully, the show, yes, has a final segment, and it is called.
1: You're going to do the acronym. No, aren't no, you? no. No, it's called, we Googled that for you.
0: We Googled that for you. So every episode we want to bring to you something that you may have thought about and gone, where does that come from? Or what does that mean? Or what is the origin of that? Or just what is that? Maybe you've never heard of it. Why
1: does that do that?
0: And this week, uh, this episode, I have the pleasure of bringing about the, we Googled that for you topic. And what I would like to know from you. Yes. Uh, oh, Caroline no. is I'm so
1: bad at coming up with stuff on the spot. Go.
0: Where do you think the origin of the phrase "in a nutshell" came from? So this is how we do this. If you haven't heard this before, basically the person who has the we googled that for you. I googled this for Caroline. Um, I presented to her. She gives us our best uh, idea here.
1: It comes from a little-known 18th-century mm. colloquialism.
0: Uh huh. <laughs>
1: Which refers to uh-huh. when people used to sit around the dinner table trading stories.
0: Now, were these people from a certain area or place? Holland. Holland. Okay, so they're Dutch. Sit
1: around the du- the dinner table, Dutch dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> the du- the,
0: <laughs> the yeah. Dutch dinner table. Dutch dinner ta- yep. Dutch,
1: Dutch oven on the table. It's not. That oh, kind I see. Of Dutch I got oven. I got
0: it. I got it. Yeah. God. Potty humor. We love and potty humor around here.
1: They would trade stories, but only those that could fit on a piece of paper that could be crumpled up and fit inside a nutshell. Wow. A walnut shell.
0: I can't, did you read it verbatim? <laughs> <laughs> Even the Dutch so, oven part's in here, which is interesting. Did you tell
1: them that the fun part of the segment is that the other person has to guess what it is? I mean, yeah. I'm sure they're picking up that that's what's going on. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Okay, so what's the real one?
0: Uh, so it's not that. Not that. It's not that. Uh, in a nutshell means, in a few words, a very brief form, which you know. Um, and it is believed to have originated from the Roman writer Pliny. I believe it's Pliny, correct? P L I N Y. I believe it's Pliny. Sure. Who, in 77 A.D., okay. so just a couple centuries off, <laughs> eighteen of them, eighteen Eighth
1: century eight is what I meant.
0: Still a couple centuries <laughs> off. Uh, described a copy of Homer's Iliad. The book was so tiny that it could fit into the shell of a nut. Which is obviously hyperbole, because the Iliad is an incredibly long book, but it became a very popular phrase, phrase because it was so
1: Obvious. polar opposite right. that
0: it was not that. not that. But that is believed where the phrase originated from, and it, it's I been used a couple times throughout history, but in the 1500s is when it' was the first time it had been seen uh, written multiple times and written and spoken. What word. I
1: like about that, that's interesting is that. Most people do use that phrase when they've probably been a little bit too long-winded. Been right. Like,
0: okay, in, in a nutshell, nutshell. Yeah. That's cool. Which is how it works. I like that. So that is the thing that we Googled for you this I week. I would also
1: like to point out that yeah. in my, I get partial credit because in my story, I said written word crumpled up inside the size of a nutshell. That feels related.
0: Let's go to the judges. Oh, yes. Oh, no partial credit. You're
1: looking at the wrong judge. I'm looking at that judge.
0: Yeah, but that's the one you paid. That's not the one who actually. paid play. Yeah. Uh so we googled Take that for you. Me. Hope you enjoy taking that Hope little enjoy that little brain uh, nugget. that little nutshell to your friends. Uh and yeah, that's it for this episode of Wandering Aimfully, the show.